This afternoon, we will confess together the Belgian Confession, Article 2, which is on the knowledge of God. Let's confess together. We know Him by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, which is before our eyes as a most beautiful book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are so many letters leading us to perceive clearly the invisible things of God, namely His eternal power and deity, as the Apostle Paul says. All these things are sufficient to convict men and leave them without excuse. Second, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word as far as is necessary for us in this life to his glory and our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider uh, the ways in which you make yourself known to us through the creation and especially uh, through your word, help us to be keen on understanding our sin through the preaching of the law and also to understand the preaching of the gospel, and how it leads us to Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The scripture lesson comes from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 32. <clears throat> That is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 32. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to, to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. 
They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, adventurers of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They do not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. This afternoon, we are in part two of our sermon series on what is the Reformed faith. And in this particular sermon, we will ask the question, can we know God? And of course, we will answer that in the affirmative, yes, absolutely, uh, chiefly in two ways. The first is through the creation itself, and specifically, we can know God in Christ through the Holy Scriptures. So that is how this uh, short sermon will uh, uh, flow, is uh, first, the Reformed affirm that God can be known in these two ways, in general, revelation, and special. Second, uh, one of those, the one, the one way through the Bible, uh, raises the question of how we know the Bible is true. We'll examine that. And third, we'll understand that people, uh, although they know God, naturally suppress that knowledge in this world. So we begin with the very clear fact from Paul here that God can be known in two ways. Through the creation itself and through the scriptures. The way in which Paul argues in our passage is important to our discussion. Notice that in verse 18 he begins the following passage with the word for. And that word for connects everything he has just said in verses 16 and 17 about righteousness to everything that is about to follow in verses 18 and following. Therefore, what he is saying is that the revelation or the making clear of the anger of God demonstrates the need of revelation or the clearness of salvation through Christ and His righteousness. In other words, the fact that God is angry with all people, and all people can understand this in the creation, raises a very important issue of understanding God specifically through Christ made known in the scriptures. So God has the right to be angry with all people because he has shown himself to uh, exist. Uh, One can understand his power and divinity and even judgment in the creation. But the only way one can escape that judgment is by knowing God in the holy scriptures. So this sets up, though, the basic uh, distinction that God can be known in general and God can be known specifically in the scriptures. So what do we mean when we say God can be known generally in the creation? Or what do we mean by general revelation? Well, that means the knowledge of God can be known, or God can be known, from living in the world of creation and experiencing it by making observations about it. What people can know in general is that God exists and he is their judge. So his power and his nature and his anger are revealed in the creation in this world. What does Psalm 19 say? Verses 1 and 2, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours, pours forth speech, and night to night reveals Knowledge, the very creation itself and its wonder and its complexity demonstrates that there is a God. And so, for example, you've heard of these stories, even of late in the past uh, decade, 
about scientists, even uh, specifically physicists, studying the creation, the universe, the stars and planets and all these different things and saying there has to be a God. The problem, however, is that all people through their sin or unrighteousness suppress that truth of God. So Paul says in verses 19 and following that God has made himself plain to all, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation, so they are without excuse. So all general general revelation, that is the knowledge of God and the creation does, by itself, is demonstrates that there is a God. Uh, we are not this God, we are creatures. We're made by his hand. And God is angry with us. And so the result, Paul says, is that all people naturally suppress this truth of God. They give themselves to delusions about themselves and God. And they're a mess. God gives them what they want. He hands them over, Paul says. And they do all these crazy things of which Paul speaks here in the rest of Romans chapter 1. All the different sins and problems here um, come about because God, our people know there's a God, yet they suppress that truth, they push it away and do their own thing. And notice that Paul really here is saying that they become inhuman. Uh, they're created in the image of God. There's a purpose, there's a meaning uh, for their life, and they, they, they shun that. And they become inhuman, they become like the animals, Paul says. So in contrast to this fallen state, God has revealed salvation through his Christ, this is special revelation. But before we do this, a, a quick qualification. Even though the sinful and fallen uh, context is very clear by the word of God and even our own observations about the world, that doesn't mean that uh, mankind is incapable of doing any good. There are, uh, as the reformers said, there are uh, noble and good in a general sense pagans. Uh, they are under God's wrath outside of Christ, but... There's general good that uh, people outside of Christ can do and be a part of. And so we do celebrate many things, uh, you know, architecture, the arts, science, whatever, uh, insofar as they accord with creation. We don't say they're, they're uh, anti-God in the sense that they accord with creation. But insofar as people knowing Christ uh, or not knowing Christ, then they're in trouble. That's an important qualification. Okay, so special revelation, what do we mean? It means God taking the initiative to reveal himself and his attributes of mercy and grace through the prophets of the Old Testament era and the prophets and the apostles of the New Testament era. God revealed himself, his nature, his ways, his, his will, his mind to these folks and then it was written down in the word of God. That is special revelation. God reveals himself the way in which you were saved from his wrath through his Christ in the word of God. And so today, as Reformed Christians, uh, we confess that we can only know God's grace and mercy through Christ uh, in the Bible. And there are many implications. One is that we cannot construct what's called natural theology. Some traditions say that, that we can know God in a saving way, uh, simply by studying the creation. We deny that. Say so we can know God's power, his nature, his wrath, but we can't know him in a saving way through the creation. And also, we deny that there are other types of special revelation today in which God reveals his mind and will to us. 
dreams, impressions, tongues, all these sorts of things we deny as means through which God communicates His special will to us. And that's very important because people sometimes will say, well, God impressed me to tell you. Or people will even say, you hear this all the time, God told me to tell you. But if somebody says that, you can say, no, God did not tell you anything outside of His Word. Or God didn't impress you to do this or that. Now people can give you their opinion. They can say, I believe a godly thing to do is X, Y, or Z. That's fine. But they can't say that God somehow impressed them or told them to tell you something. It's in the Word of God. God has spoken and His Word was written down. And so we we restrict, because God wants to restrict during this era, His Word, His will, His specific will, in the Word of God. We can learn from others. We can gain wisdom. But specific revelation, we say, is contained here in the Scriptures. Then it's very important to say that the focus of the Bible is Jesus Christ. In uh, Romans uh, 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, In the Gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He's speaking here of justification. So we know him uh, through the fact of our faith that he's given to us as a gift. God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. And that's the the whole Bible. The Bible is about that focus. It has many different um, permutations and and, uh, uh, different things going on, but it's essentially about Jesus Christ. So to be clear, God makes himself known in two ways. First, through his own creation, in which he reveals his existence and power, and second, through the Holy Bible, the Scriptures, in which he reveals the Gospel. Therefore, the Scriptures are essential to understand God and the way in which he reveals himself through Christ. But we have to ask the question, how do you know the Bible is true? Well, this is a much longer sermon, but we're just... uh, summarizing things today, but the uh, Belgic Confession, Article 5, summarizes that there are three distinct ways in which we know and believe the Bible to be true. The first is that the church providentially has recognized, receives and approves the canon of Scripture. Now let's be very clear. The church doesn't create the canon of Scripture. The church doesn't say that the Scriptures come from us. The church just recognizes that this is God's Word. That the 66 books here of the Bible are God's Word. So God has given uh, the church to the world, and one of the functions of the church is to uh, operate according to the Word of God, but first it has to understand what the Word of God is. And this was a process over time, but by the 300s AD, the, the 66 books... Uh, the Protestant canon, at least, were secured. So God has given the church to recognize that the Holy Scriptures are true, that they are the Word of God. The Scriptures have the authority over the church, but the church has recognized that the Scriptures are the authority. So that's the first way. The second is that the Scriptures themselves demonstrate their own authority. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is inspired by God. And so you see here that the Bible, in many other places, talks about the fact that it is the Word of God. And some people will say, well, that's circular reasoning. 
Uh, you believe the Bible simply because it says it's the, it's the Word of God? Yes. If the Bible is a product of God's Spirit, then it is supremely unique and it can't rely on external evidences for its credibility. In other words, the Bible's authority is, is God. God is its foundation and the recognition that the Bible is the Word of God is called faith. Any other foundation defies the fact that it is the holy word of God. Now, external evidences such as uh, archaeology or literary uh, parallels are very helpful. We don't deny those. But we don't say because of those things we believe it's the Bible. We believe it's the Bible because the Bible says it's the Bible. It's an inspired word of God. It is unique. Also, as a part of this, one can notice the internal evidence of fulfillment and coherence. So it's remarkable as you study the Bible, as you hear it preached more and more, how it perfectly fits together. There are no contradictions, as people say. Examine all of their supposed uh, accusations of contradictions. They're not there at all. It's a, it's a misunderstanding of what the Bible is all about. So there's that evidence. There's the evidence of fulfillment. The New Testament recognizes in a very organic way that it is the fulfillment of the Old. So the first reason we believe the Word of God is such is that the church has recognized the Scriptures. Uh, second, the Scriptures themselves demonstrate their own authority and credibility. And third, the Holy Spirit testifies to us that it is the Word of God. 1 John 5, very important passage, verses 6-13. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For these are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So notice that the Spirit of God here is the one who testifies to us the truth of God in the Word. Now, we don't believe the Bible is true because we feel that it is, but because the Holy Spirit causes us to believe it as we read it and hear it. The Spirit testifies to our spirits that the Word is true. And of course, some people will say, well, I hear the Mormons saying that. They, uh, they say that they believe the Book of Mormon is true because they feel this burning in their chest. Well, that's very different. Notice what they're saying. They're saying they believe the Book of Mormon is true because they feel that it is true. And the scriptures here say that you will believe the Word of God is true because the Holy Spirit, the objective Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, causes you to believe that it is true as you read it. So it's all objective, you see. We believe in the Word of God as we hear it, preached as we read it, as the Spirit of God works in us. So there's this subjective element, yes. But it is not uh, existentialism, as the Mormons talk about. It's not just a feeling.
Okay, so three reasons. The first, the church recognizes the canon. The second, the Bible uh, says itself that it is the Word of God. And third, the Holy Spirit testifies to us that it is the Word of God. And then finally, um, to round this out and conclude, there is this clear suppression of the truth of God. Uh, It is certainly in the case when people deny the scriptures, but also in general in the creation, you have people suppressing this truth. And so one of the interesting uh, products products of this is atheism. Uh, We know that really there are no true atheists. Paul says that all people recognize that there is a God, that he exists, but still the folly uh, of our uh, suppression of truth is seen in atheism when people say they confess that there is no God. The scriptures say that the fool says in his heart there is no God because the scriptures are saying that there clearly is a God. But again, we should not be surprised by this, brothers and sisters, it's not sticking our head in the sand to recognize that there are those who call themselves atheists and they do this because they suppress the truth through their unrighteousness. And further, there's a very strange religious scene today, but throughout history. Uh, A few notables would be uh, this thing called religious pluralism. Uh, that there are many different religions and people begin to say, well, you know, they're all saying the same thing. They're just all varieties of the same thing. And that's not true at all. They're all varieties and permutations because people suppress the truth through their unrighteousness. And then uh, we'll get into this much more. Uh, this is why we see so many false churches. So you hear what's very confusing sometimes for folks is they say they believe in the Word of God, they talk about it, But then when you listen to them, they're really not following it. Why? Because it's all of our tendencies to want to suppress the truth through our our unrighteousness. And so because there is the outward denial of God's existence, and because there are so many conflicting opinions and practices concerning the Bible, we will emphasize the marks of the true church in the following sermons. The marks of the true church, proper preaching of the word, Administration of the sacraments and church discipline define true churches that affirm God's absolute authority over people, which is known through the Bible. We'll, we'll spell that out in the following sermons. So, in conclusion, God can be known in two ways. First, general revelation and special revelation. And we believe that God's special revelation in the Bible is the Word of God in three ways. The church receives it. The Bible itself says it's the Word of God. And third, the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirits that the Bible is God's word. And then even though God has revealed himself graciously to the world, there is still a suppression of this truth which creates all the moves of unbelief and false religion that we see today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.